Finding My Voice by Rachel Munro from The Activist Practitioner, issue number four, Sanism, December 2020. And this story comes with a content warning of racial violence, sexual violence, physical violence, suicide, distressing and dehumanising experiences. Rachel Munro talked to Ruth Nelson about her experiences and we decided to write this up as a first-person story, and with Rachel's permission, it was read out at Barbane Aboriginal Corporation to a group of witnesses. It was then sent to Annie Sykes as a narrative from one First Nations person to another First Nations person. Annie spoke to Rua about what Rachel's story brought up for her. We wanted to have a conversational experience between two Indigenous people, an Aboriginal person and a Maori person, to listen to their experience in the system. We present Rachel's words, and she had time to think about what it brought up for her. The story triggered thoughts about her own history and how to navigate to a place of peace. We would like to let the voices of these women speak for themselves. Rachel and Ruth sat at Barbane Aboriginal Corporation on Darug land. We paid our respects to the elders, past, present and future. June 2020. My first experience when the police decided that they were going to lock me up and drag my daughter out of my arms, that was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It sent me pretty psychotic at the time. I was getting diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I don't feel like I have, but bipolar makes sense. I do feel that I have my manic episodes, and at the moment I'm in a depressive bipolar state. It's totally different to a manic state. I feel depressed. I want to sleep all the time. My first experience was probably the worst. In 2014, I had a fight with my family. I took off out of the house with no shoes on, no wallet, nothing. I was going to walk with my eight-year-old daughter to my friend's house, which was quite a long way. Halfway there, my daughter was getting tired and didn't want to walk anymore. So we got to this shop and there was a phone there. So I thought, we'll ring the police for help. The police turned up within five minutes. They put us in the car, and I thought that they were taking me to my friend's house, which is what I said, I need to get to my friend's house. The police didn't take me there, they took me back to the station. I was in the waiting room for a few minutes, and I realised this is not where I want to be. So I proceeded to leave with my daughter. I got to the end of the police station, and five or six police followed me. They proceeded to force me back into the police station. When they got me back into the waiting room, they literally dragged my daughter out of my arms, screaming and crying. She was eight at the time. We were hugging and they ripped us apart. I still remember how she was holding my hand right to the last minute. They just dragged her away from me and I didn't know where they were taking her or what they were doing with her. They locked me in the cells after they searched me, where I became very unwell. I become naked in the cells. They left me for five hours in that state on my own before they did anything. The police were making fun of me and ridiculing me. One police officer was making humping suggestions to the photocopier because I was standing there stuck naked in front of him. That was really horrible. I didn't know who he was, but a couple of weeks after that incident, I saw him after I came out of the hospital and I recognised him. Anyway, after about five hours, they took me to Cumberland Hospital. 
Overnight in Cumberland, I was fine. But the next day, one of the nurses grabbed my hand. I had busted my hand somehow, and one of the nurses grabbed it, so I tried to hit her. She didn't know my hand was busted, but they didn't let me explain anything either. After I tried to hit her, I had five or six nurses jump on me, and then I ended up in seclusion. Seclusion means you're in a room with just a bed. I've been left in seclusion that long that I've had to wee and poo in the corner, because they won't let me out to go to the bathroom. They usually sedate me and leave me in there. I've been left naked in seclusion because when I become unwell, I become suicidal and I try and choke myself with my clothes. So often I've become naked and I'm just left like that for hours at a time, which is really inhumane. When I was in the hospital that first time, I kept on saying to them, this is against my human rights. You can't treat people like this. I was actually really scared of going to Cumberland. My mother had told me all her life that she was raped at Cumberland in the 1970s when she was admitted there. So I had these fears of things like that happening to me in the hospital. Even though things are different now, I still had those fears just because of all the stuff that my mum used to tell me of her experiences in hospital. My mother was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And looking back now on things that she did and said to me as a child, I can see that. So I grew up in that environment Being bashed nearly every day for being black by your own mother is like, you know, being called little black slut from the age of seven. It affected me mentally. So although I love my mum, I hated her at the same time because of all the stuff that she's done to me, which has contributed to a lot of my mental health, which didn't actually come to me for a long time. I was diagnosed with bipolar after my incident with the police, but before that I didn't notice. When I was first in the hospital, they had me in seclusion for about three and a half weeks. I thought I was only in there for three days, but when I came out, people were saying, you've been in there for a lot longer than you think. I was in that one little room on my own for that period of time. The staff would come because they had to feed me and stuff while I was in there. They would come in and chuck the food at me because I was being very, very toxic at the time saying to some of the workers like, oh, did you rape my mother? Did you do this? Did you do that? I'm just really horrible when I go into the hospital. I guess because I'm locked away from my family. At that time, I didn't know where my daughter was, who she was with, what she was doing. All I really wanted was to be able to see her, to see that she was okay. And as long as I was in that seclusion room, she was not able to visit me. So it took longer for me to come well because I wasn't seeing her and I didn't know what had happened to her from the time when the police dragged her out of my arms. I don't compare myself to Stolen Generation, but at that time I could imagine how the people that did go through Stolen Generation would have felt having their kids ripped out of their arms and not knowing where they've gone or what they're doing. All you want to know is that they're safe and okay. Me and my daughter had never been separated. We hadn't even had a night apart before this incident. She was my world, and then they just dragged her out, ripped her out of my arms, and it was the worst thing that someone could ever go through. I was terrified of what was happening to me at the time. You know, I was in there over the Australia Day weekend, and I was saying, I don't celebrate Australia Day, it's Invasion Day. And the nursing staff were making fun of me because I was talking like that, and they were making it harder for me to be able to go home because the longer that I kept fighting with everybody in there, the longer they wanted to keep me in there. So that first time that I was in the hospital, I was there for six weeks. 
They don't like if you bring politics into it. They paint you with one brush, like everybody's the same and they don't allow you to be yourself. So when I was kind of protesting about being Aboriginal and wanting to do Aboriginal things within the hospital, it's like I was knocked on the head. I was not treated very nice. There was one day when I was there, this person had come to do haircuts for people. And there was an Islander fellow who was very quiet and reserved. They didn't listen to how he wanted to get his hair cut and they just shaved it all off. So he became agitated and got up suddenly and bumped one of the nurses. That nurse looked at him as assaulting him. So then I saw four nurses attack this guy, assaulting him and then forcing him into seclusion. But you know, it all happened over a damn haircut. They just didn't want to listen to him. When they want to put you in seclusion or sedate you, they have four or five security guards come and hold you down. And these security guards aren't very nice. I don't know whether it's me being an Aboriginal person or me going off at the time, but they've been very physical and heavy-handed. They'll dig their elbows into your ankles or get your hand and bend it up the wrong way. They're forcing you to do stuff that you don't want to do. I don't know whether they're trained in working with mental health or whether it's just standard security, but the security guards aren't that nice. The last time I was in hospital, I met this nice red-headed security guard. I called him my Ed Sheeran, who was my favourite singer. We had a good chat and casualty. When he was called to come and sedate me, he actually got really, really cranky and stopped coming. He could see the treatment they were doing to me was not right. He's seen it for himself and stopped coming. If you're mucking up or something, they'll put a call over the radio, and the security guards who turn up is just who's close by. So he stopped coming when he knew it was me. He's seen how the other security people would treat me, and he didn't like it. I've learned to stand up for myself when I go into hospital now. The last time I was in the hospital was probably the easiest that I've had. The staff weren't too bad with me. And I was only in there for a week and one day, which is the shortest period of time that I've been in the hospital. They did a tribunal thing and I'm now on a CTO, community treatment order. I've got back in contact with a doctor that I was seeing, Dr. Phillips. Telling this story has really helped me because for years I've been saying I want to write a book. And this is, I feel, a beginning to my dream of writing a book and helping the next generation. That was Finding My Voice by Rachel Munro for the Activist Practitioner issue number four on Sanism, December 2020. If you want to find a written version of the magazine, The Activist Practitioner, head to our website www.activistpractitioner.com or find us on Facebook. See you for the next episode, How I Found Peace, which is a response to Finding My Voice by Annie Sykes. I'm Ruth Nelson and the sound production and music is by Timothy Hay. Timothy Hay.